If I've not met you uh, before, my name is Johnny. I'm part of the team here, and I'm just going to uh, dive straight in, if that's all right. Because um, in times of uncertainty and anxiety and challenge, we all need hope, right? And in Jesus, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have this hope like an anchor for the soul. It says, firm and secure. And to cultivate this hope as a church at a time like this, as Anna was saying, we need to be looking upwards and outwards rather than downwards and inwards. And I know I've felt it myself like daily, this kind of temptation to be looking inwards, to be thinking about myself. And as we've said, we see it on the empty shelves in the shops. We've seen it with this new national fascination with toilet roll that we have. And it's this kind of temptation to look inwards. But so upwards, what does that look like? As we've said, it's a time to press into worship, to press into prayer and scripture. Like if you want to get warm, you stand by the fire, right? If you want to get wet, you jump into the water. If we want hope, we need to be close to Jesus at this time. And outwards, it means caring for those around us, looking out for our neighbours, especially the most vulnerable. And part of that obviously is about being responsible, is about following guidelines and all of that. So upwards and outwards. And I just want to um, highlight again just that incredible stuff that's been happening from within our community. Banquet, which is online food bank. This is like so crucial and it's so easy to give through them. And also joy that's also come from within KXC with Paddy. Serving and connecting the elderly and the isolated. So important at this time. That's explorejoy.co.uk. Do check that out and see how you can get involved. And we're going to be looking at all other kind of creative ways to help to resource. And just to stay on those cards, the team are also going to be handing them out on the way out so do take those if you think you can make use of those to connect with your neighbors and as Pete was saying this this um, virus is not digital for once kind of in our age this is a local and embodied thing and so our response also has to be local and embodied that's the way the church has always been right it's like we're these kind of outposts of the kingdom of God serving and loving in tangible ways you know, the early church had plagues and, and, uh, in the Roman times, and they would respond by staying where they were, by loving in creative and compassionate, courageous ways. You know, it's well documented that as well as things like that, they would, they would like literally rescue babies and children that had been thrown away. They would raise them as their own. There's these kind of compassionate acts. And as a result of that, with God's kingdom moving, the church saw incredible growth, but it was the, they were loving their local areas in tangible ways. It's always been the case. And as I was reading this week, I found this quote really helpful from um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was writing about a different threat. This was in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which was about the threat of the rise of the Nazi party. But I think it's still helpful for us today. He says this, the same Jesus who said, I am the light, says to his followers, you are the light in your whole existence. It is the property of light to shine a city on a hill cannot be hid. Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. But a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. In other words, it's not a time to be invisible as a community of people following Jesus. It's an amazing challenge. So I just want to just frame this beginning really with this question. When this passes, what will people remember about the church's response? We just want to kind of let that uh, linger this evening. We might not be able to get to church, as we've said, but we certainly can always be the church, right? 
sometimes events, uh, some of the things we're going to do, maybe all around other things you've been excited about will get cancelled. But I can tell you tonight that conversation isn't going to be cancelled. Like friendship and community isn't going to be cancelled. Generosity and compassion will not be cancelled. Faith, hope and love in this community is not going to be cancelled. But we do still need to be diligent, so hand washing is also not going to be cancelled at this time. I heard that if you sing happy birthday, it's about the right time to wash your hands. I tried, actually the chorus to all things new is about 20 seconds. I tried that, just saying. It's a good one. If you really want to take it to the next level, the Lord's Prayer is also about the right length of time. But you might be thinking, well, what's the biblical basis for washing your hands? Like, give me some theology, man. Well, I've got you. I've got your back. So here we go. Exodus 40. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Moses and Aaron and his sons used it too. Psalm 26, I wash my hands in innocence and go about your old sorry Lord. And this one is my favorite one. James 4, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. (laughs) So there's your biblical uh, basis. Because in the face of adversity, people of character, of resilience, of courage are a gift, right? And I just want to spend a bit of time this afternoon looking at three guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what we can learn from them. They're in the book of Daniel, so if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn to Daniel chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, I think there are some Bibles in the pew. If you don't have one, you're welcome to take that, take it away with you. We really believe it will bring you life. So Daniel chapter 3. And just as a little bit of context, this is around 600 BC, and along with Daniel of uh, Lion's Den fame, these three guys have kind of been taken into exile, I think they're teenagers at the time, into Babylon. And Babylon is a place of power, of excess, it's like this cultural hub, all about the wisdom of people, all about like pleasure without limits, it's this kind of like archetype of human exaltation, self-exaltation. And they were looking for the best and the brightest young guys in Jerusalem to kind of bring in, to take and immerse them in Babylonian culture, kind of take them on this training program, this training scheme, and educate them in the Babylonian system. And this is what's happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been brought in, and they actually find favor pretty early on, and they get high-ranking positions of influence, and they're really involved. So that's kind of where we are when we get to Daniel chapter 3. And the king at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, has this gold statue created. It's, uh, it says it was 90 feet, which is pretty high. I worked out it's like roughly 17 of me kind of on top of each other. So a big statue. We're not told exactly what it is, but it's like an embodiment of the empire, of human idolatry, national identity, the gods, like all of that mixed into this kind of this symbolic statue. And they're having this, this dedication ceremony for the statue, which is where we're going to jump in. Um, from, chat, from verse 4 to 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the, zoot, the flute, the zither, I have always said we do not have enough zither in our worship. Like, I don't know if, Colin, you can make something happen. More zither, please. Uh, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Intense. But then... Um, 
they, so the guys basically, they're, they, they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to bow down. And there's these other people who are like, they're like, absolute jobs worth you know the type of person and they go to the to, to the palace and tell the king basically like there's these people and they're not they're not doing what you said they're not bowing down to this statue and they say they say this um there are some jews whom you have set over your affairs in the province of babylon shadrach meshach and abednego who pay no attention to you your majesty they ser- they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up so i just want to pause here there's so much in the book of daniel about living in a city like ours with like competing visions for human flourishing it's like a collision of kingdoms there's so much in here about what it is for, to live in like cultural renewal redemptive participation and if you've been around at kxc for any length of time you'll know that we're totally passionate about that totally engaged with those types of things and these guys you know they're part of society they've got influential jobs their dress their their fashion their language their names were changed they are very culturally involved but it also shows that there's a time for non-participation and prophetic subversion and i really want to just focus on this and how they go about that and particularly these two themes of worship and obedience Worship, in other words, upwards, obedience, outwards for our theme this evening. When it comes to their worship, there is no compromise. Like they're just they're unwilling to bow down to this statue. They're fixing their eyes on God. And just to backtrack slightly on how they've got to that point, because um, I think there's been some key little details. In chapter one, we already know that they've been, as part of this training scheme that they're on, they've been offered food from the king's table. That was like part of the deal. And this would have been like the best meats you can imagine. It would have been like the juiciest fruits, like the best wine, like food from the king's table. And there's this bit where Daniel actually says to them like, no, thank you, just give us water and vegetables. We're fine with that. And I can imagine like he was obviously the spokesman, the other three being like, whoa, like, Danny boy, I want, the, I want the king's food. Like, what are you talking about? But actually they say, give us nothing but vegetables and water. And there's this whole thing about how God will sustain them. And of course he does. And there's a few things at play here. Like one is just the cultural part, right? Like when we travel, one of the key ways we immerse ourselves in the culture is food. Like if I'm going to France, I'm having all the cheeses and all the pastries. If I'm going to Italy, I'm having all the pizza and all the pasta and you'll have your equivalents. But there's more than that. Like in Jewish custom, food and food was like really important culturally and spiritually particularly and also in the way that it was prepared was like really important and this food at the king's table would have been like dedicated to other gods so in this kind of small way even in this seemingly small step to us they're saying actually i'm not willing to eat that food like this is a step towards something else it's the first steps towards compromise. And that actually would have been a big sacrifice to give up that field. I don't know if anyone's, there's a thing called the Daniel Fast now, right? Absolutely miserable. But, um, but here's a big, um, <laughs> a big sacrifice. Another hint that we have later in the book of Daniel um, is he mentions the hour of evening sacrifice. And we know this was a custom from the temple in Jerusalem. It would have been this thing they did at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now the temple would have been destroyed and like decades had passed. These guys likely wouldn't have actually seen this evening sacrifice happening in the temple. And yet they've still ordered their hearts after God in such a way that they've got these like daily practices of worship, daily practices of prayer. And it's these daily practices that means that when compromisers come in these kind of small steps, they've already drawn the line. They've already said that's a non-negotiable. So when it gets to this like big moment of actually bowing down to this gold statue, they know exactly how they're going to act. It starts in the small and the secret. It's intentional prayer and worship 
spending time in God's presence. Worship brings us closer to the heart of God. It shapes our identity, which shapes our action, which shapes our purpose. And the purpose for these guys in this time was obedience to God, where they don't bow down. So let's read on. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is not happy about it. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zith, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all the kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So in other words, he's basically saying, like, did you not get the memo? Like, you are in my hands now. I am your God. Like, what other God is there? Your life is in my hands. And I absolutely love the way they respond. It's incredible. They say this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Isn't that incredible? Firstly, they are the most polite rebels that I have ever come across, like your majesty. But it's also so much wisdom and faith and boldness and confidence in their purpose. And they don't actually know what's going to happen at this point, right? This is far more about obedience at this stage than it is about deliverance. They're not sure what's going to happen. They do actually get put into the fire. But they're able to say, like, either way, you are not our God. Like, we've already bowed down. We've already bowed down to the to the God who is God, to the King of Kings, to a God who is mighty to save. We've already bowed down to that God, so you are not our God. Even if he does not deliver us from it, like, we will not serve your gods. He's able, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. Incredible faith. And this is real for us, right, at this time with this virus. It can feel, feel totally overwhelming. And also just like the idols in our lives, you, you'll be able to think the things that come to mind. But I think it's fascinating, even some of these idols that, that are coming up in this time, at this time, things like... Um, like busyness and status, like this is going to be like crumbled, isn't it? Things like control and comfort in particular, these things that we kind of feed on. There's a gap that's coming to these idols in this time. It's fascinating. There might be other things like wealth, success, escapism. I know a big one for me, like approval, like what do people think of me? How are people going to think? And there'll be other ways in which we feel like we're facing the fire at the moment, whether it's illness, whether it's relationships, whether it's pressures at work, exams, like all of these things that we might be facing. And it's just long for us to have this perspective like, God, I know that you are good. I know that you can take this. I know that you can deal with this in an instant. But even if you don't in the way that I would hope, like even if you don't, I'm still going to praise you. You're still God. You're still good. I'm not going to bow down to another and as we're about to see, God doesn't stop them going into the fire. That's something to notice. So they say this from verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the the furnace. Right. Obedience can be costly. And um, 
whenever I think about this, I'm always drawn to um, my time working with persecuted Christians in a previous job. And like just day in, day out, I'd hear stories of people that every day had to make this choice, no matter the cost, whether they're going to follow Jesus. And I got to meet some of these people and hear their stories. And just this week, I was reading this interview about a lady who I was aware of about 10 years ago was put in prison, uh, harshly, unfairly tried for um, under blasphemy laws. And she was actually sentenced to death. So separated from her family put in prison for years and years and years like just imagine that people that even advocated on her behalf were killed like how did she just stay faithful to God like surely it would have been so easy just to decide just to leave it but how did she manage that and she said this in the interview my faith got stronger in prison because I know that God is with me and God doesn't leave you alone either he is always with us and when her father visited her, apparently she said something like, I've been accused for the name of Jesus, but I will be released in the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing, amazing faith? As Pete was saying in that video, like this isn't a time for kind of consumer Christianity where things are a bit of a luxury. It's a time for pressing in, for seeking God, and not bowing down to fear. The only way that these people, I think, can, can follow Jesus in those circumstances is because they have this assurance that Jesus is Lord. They have a, an assurance in the end of the story, as we know, where there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. This assurance and faith in that. And as we talk about worship and obedience, they're, like, they're, they're so interlinked, aren't they? Like I think of John 14, 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then in the next chapter, 15, 14, which is lovely symmetry, you are my friends if you do what I command. That link between obedience and worship is beautiful. Obedience is about abiding in love and it's the pathway to joy and it's the pathway to purpose. I'm just going to change track slightly and jump to a really well-known verse, which lots of you will know and lots of you will probably love. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Put your hand up if you've, if you've heard that verse before. Yeah, most of us. It's a classic, isn't it? We love it. Like if someone's going through a hard time, Jeremiah 29, 11, plans and purposes. Like if it's like a christening or a baptism or a wedding or a new house or a funeral or like a, you passed your driving test or it's like Jeremiah 29, 11, plans and purposes, baby. But um, we love it, don't we? And I'm actually buzzing tonight because I can use this. This is the actual context for this verse. So Jeremiah is writing his prophecy. He's writing about how to live well and to thrive in Babylon. So this is the actual context for this verse. And just before this, in verse 7, we've got this other well-known one, which we often talk about. Seek uh, the peace and prosperity of the city for which I've carried you. Pray for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. This whole thing about our purpose being a blessing to others. But Jeremiah 29, 11, it is like ChristianMerch.com, isn't it? We're like, name it, claim it, frame it, like everything. I just want to ask, is it out of context for us today? And... I think it is out of context in the way that if we think that God will have plans and purposes that match ours, or if it's like, you know, I'm only going to praise him if it comes through on this, or if it's like my vision. If we want perfect lives today, I don't think it is in that context. But I do think it's in the context of a confidence in the gospel that we know that he will give us hope in the midst of pain 
that one day every tear will be wiped away. This is true in that God's redemptive purposes are in Jesus Christ. That God is working even when we're not so sure about it. That's the context for which it is still true for us today. And these guys chose to worship God. And as I say, it wasn't like they were doing it just because they wanted something from God. They, they went into the fire. They were bold, courageous, and faithful. Check this out as to what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It says later on that when they came out, they didn't even smell of smoke. And this thing of like son of the gods, some uh, scholars think that it was an angel of the Lord. Some people think that it was actually Jesus incarnate. But like son of the gods is right in the fact that it was the son of God, like walking with them in the fire. He walked with them and saved them. He does the same with us today. Every fire we go through, he is with us. He walks with us. And we see that the fact that we are never alone, never will be alone, most clearly on the cross, right? That Jesus lived, died, rose again for us, for our sins, ushering in a kingdom of God that we can participate in today as the church, forever altering the trajectory of our world, no longer heading towards death, but life, slavery, but freedom, fear, but hope. This is the story we get to live in and live out at this crucial time in our society. And to sum this uh, up, I just want to show, I'm going to show this little video clip in a moment. It's um, the song, I'm sure you know, we sing it here a lot. It's Another in the Fire, which is obviously to do with this passage inspired by these verses and uh, by Hillsong United. And the two writers, the story of how this song came about, the two writers, Chris Davenport and Joel Houston, were both going through really challenging times when they were writing it. And Chris shares his story that a week before, there was was going to be a big conference where they were going to record the song for the first time and, and have the live album and things like that. A week before this conference, his child was diagnosed with autism. And um, he wasn't talking at the time either. They weren't sure if this child was going to eventually talk. And so he's kind of hit with this, this change in circumstance, which changed to his, some of his hopes and his dreams. And he's dealing with this. Uh, and as I say, a few days later, he's due to sing this song that he's written. And he's having to decide, like, do I actually believe these words, like, even if he doesn't? Like, and he comes to the conclusion that he is all in on this worship, that he is that the truth of this song still holds, in and amidst his confusion, in and amidst uh, the challenges of his life and I just want to show you a little clip of him talking about that and then into the to the song where they sing it at this conference a few days later I think like at the end of the day um, maybe what this song has taught me and maybe what I hope that it will teach other people is the in between's okay and it doesn't make it doesn't affect true things being true they're still true they're now and not yet they're here and yet to come and that's okay the key is that you're never alone in any of it. I hope that that's what this song does.
I just found that incredibly uh, powerful. And the final chorus, should I ever need reminding how good you've been to me, I'll count the joy come every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. We are never alone. We never will be alone. Jesus was with them in the fire and he's with us today. We have this hope and it's to share with others.